Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. So I get lots of questions from parents, lots, about things like how to best feed their children or if they're do, quote unquote, doing the right things when it comes to talking about food and weight with their kids or how to navigate all that their kids get exposed to out there on social media and the internet. And, you know, I'm a parent myself and I can understand why there are so many questions because there's so many messages out there and there's so much information and a lot of it seems contradictory and it's confusing, which is why I love having guests on here who are knowledgeable eating disorder experts who have years of experience like the one I have on today. I am so excited to bring her on so we can discuss some of these things that I know many of you out there are sitting and, you know, wondering about yourself. You want more information and clarity about all of these things that I just mentioned and probably much more. So without wasting any more time, I'm excited to introduce Sumner Brooks. She is a mom and licensed registered dietitian nutritionist based in Oregon who has spent nearly 15 years working in the field of nutrition and eating disorders. Her experience includes providing nutrition therapy for adolescents and adults, public speaking, and pursuing advanced training in trauma-informed, weight-inclusive healthcare. She's also the founder of the online training platform, Eating Disorder Registered Dietitians and Professionals. All right, well, Sumner, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here um, for, you know, I did introduce you a little bit, but I always like to hear from, you know, my guests. Um, how did you get into this? work like what was there like a passion or did something happen in your life where you're like you know that led you down this path yeah I think it, you know for a lot of people well, first of all thank you for having me Christina I really admire anyone who does podcasts on great topics that are you know changing people's views and increasing awareness about eating disorders which we all need so thank you for having me um, I, my background is I've been a dietitian for, oh gosh, about 15 years. And I was someone who, um, like a lot of people experienced ups and downs and, and some pretty, pretty deep downs with my relationship with food and body, um, early on, um, as a young adult and a teen, but actually as I was in training to become a dietitian, I felt like working in the field of eating disorders was the last thing I ever wanted to do. It sounded very difficult to me. It sounded, um, I don't know, just really out of reach and um, kind of so foreign, you know, it's not, um, it's not a focus of our training. Um, and I guess I didn't really understand all that is encompassed under the field of eating disorders, right? So a lot of us who do this work sort of learn as we go, um, particularly around the weight-inclusive approach and size acceptance and fat-positive health care. Um, so 
your question about how I got into this work, it was like one step at a time, really through almost um, eliminating what I didn't want to do. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I learned when I first learned about intuitive eating from Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli, who I was very fortunate to be living in Southern California for my schooling. So I had in-person um, uh, relationships with both of them and really more so Elise Resch, who became a close mentor of mine. So I was lucky enough to get some training and really learned about an intuitive eating approach very early on in my career as a dietitian. And I really took off from there, you know, in um, for example, you know, working in corporate wellness or weight management workshops, I was weaving in intuitive eating principles um, into that that work without even really knowing, right, exactly how confusing that would be for people to have um, a weight management program that was teaching intuitive eating. Um, so step by step, I made mistakes, I learned, but mostly I became much more involved in eating disorder treatment when I opened a private practice about 10 years ago. And naturally, many, many people who came to me for nutrition counseling had disordered eating and eating disorders. And I really needed to seek out training um, and specialty continuing education because of the populations that I was seeing. Um, and then it became really enjoyable. And I, I really grew a passion for how important this knowledge is, how important it is to help people have avenues for healing and safe spaces to learn about um, body acceptance and a peaceful relationship with food. Um, and it's really been such fulfilling and amazing work, I have to say. So I think that is what keeps me here. That's fantastic. You know, it's funny when you were talking about this is the last area you wanted to work and I often share that too I said this is not what I wanted to do um I I had my own experience with my own eating disorder and I thought oh, I do not want to treat eating disorders for my own personal reasons but to your point too it's so fulfilling and so needed so um but I'm curious for you when people did start to come to you did they know they were coming to you because they had disordered eating or eating disorders or were they coming to you for other reasons and through the work they did with you that awareness came about? It was all of the above. Um, I think more of what we see with um, people coming in for eating disorder outpatient treatment is a lot of concerned parents who have been able to identify some very um, serious symptoms and behaviors that they're seeing in their kids and teens and are, you know, they have that ability to, um, you know, request that the child gets treatment, right? Because they're under 18, so they can do that. And, and I think what we see more with young adults and adults is, um, you know, a lot of suffering and not necessarily knowing what is an eating disorder or what a particular diagnosis might be. But there's a lot of suffering going on out there, right? And a lot of very quiet, um, under the radar suffering that is happening for people. Um, and I think people don't know how to talk about it, right? And then once they get into that 
room and get the door closed and have a space to start talking about it and unpacking it and understanding it is really when so many people can see how problematic their relationship with food and body really is for them. I'm curious, you've been doing this for quite a while. Um, I'm wondering, how have you seen things change with, you know, social media getting, you know, much more, I guess, prevalent and people really, you know, I've seen the influencers out there who are really promoting what I feel is eating disorder eating and food, you know, messages about food that are, in my opinion, eating disordered. Um, and people thinking that that's, quote unquote, the way to eat or healthy or, you know, I've certainly heard my patients come in who are teens and thinking certain way to eat or number of calories or whatnot um, is fine, perfectly fine. And it's definitely not. So I'm curious your experience of that. Have you seen it get worse over time or people thinking that the way they're eating is not disordered? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with, you know, I know there are people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have, who have, you know, even a better kind of scope on the changes. But I would say that even 15 years ago, when I started, there wasn't, there wasn't a huge conversation around the problems with social media and how much and how quickly the thin ideal and the orthorexia um, recommendations for eating, you know, it's just things move so fast now and kids are getting devices younger and younger and younger. Um, there's been a lot of really insightful research going on the last few years about the harms of social media to the point where you've probably seen there's legislation um, in the works to, to prevent some of the harm that's happening in terms of um, influencers and diet recommendations. But just from what I see in working with people, it's entirely consuming. And yes, for young people, for sure. But I think also for people of all ages who spend time on social media, um, we're, we, you know, yeah, we're fed these lies every single day, hundreds of times a day um, that really changed the way our brain thinks what a body is supposed to look like. And it's so narrow. We see these images like over and over and over and over again. Um, I think it's a huge influence. And, you know, as a parent, um, I'm very concerned. I can even tell a difference between when my kids have spent time on YouTube kids, right? Or, or if they haven't, just simply in like, how they're talking, their attitude, the things that they want. Um, and some of those things aren't at all directly related to food and body and the thin ideal, but it's so easy to see how quickly a person can be influenced. And I know, you know, you've been doing this quite a while too, right? So what, what kinds of things are you seeing over the years? Well, that's why I was curious what's coming in for you, because I definitely gotten a lot of pushback uh in terms of you know people saying well they kind of look at me like I have two or ten heads um when I'm talking to them about treatment and even seeing a dietitian much like yourself they're saying well they they're they want me to eat too much 
they're telling me to eat way, way too much. Like I, I've been reading everything on social media. I've, everything I see, like it's only X amount or I don't need to eat carbs. Carbs are bad. Carbs are evil. Um, you know, I've listened to Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> She's doing this intermittent fasting. Yes. It's, you know, it works. It's scientifically proven. It's this and that. So when I'm trying to talk to them, they're just like telling me I'm wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. They don't have disordered eating because everything they're reading and listening to is, you know, so different. And it's almost like everything out there is the expert and correct. And everything we're trying to work on is they're really grappling with like, who's right, who's wrong. If they go to the dietitian, they're given a meal plan. That's way too much food. I'm scared that, you know, what's going to do to my body and my body's not going to look like what's I see out there in social media. It's, it's scary. They're scared. People are very mm -hmm. scared to enter treatment and to listen to like people like yourself or me and parents too, right? The parents are hearing all this and maybe following, you know, these diets that are out there and the apps like Noom or these things that are like counter and really doing a lot of damage. And so it's, I feel like I'm really battling Ed, if you will, in, in session and kind of doing a lot of, uh, education but it's almost like can almost not like I'm convincing people but it feels like I'm really combating all the messages out there and it's toxic yeah it, it's a lot of hard work I think to undo all of the damage that's being done um I click on articles about you know pharmaceutical weight loss and noom and things like that i i write in my own feed i click on things because i want to know what people are seeing and doing and so then i'm served up all of the ads that they think i want to see based on the algorithm and this morning in my instagram stories um i was served up an ad for an injectable at home delivery of ozempic oh, i could simply follow a couple links, fill out a couple forms and get a prescription sent to my home without even going to a doctor. Um, that was really scary. Um, you know, I'm so thankful that there is some pushback, you know, at least there are people who are activists and weight inclusive researchers who are pushing back because I don't think there was a lot of pushback I don't know, even five, 10 years ago. So there is a, a bigger voice and a bigger message at least starting to emerge, which is great. But in comparison to the size of this problem right now, it's massive. Well, speaking of, I, on my phone this morning, I got a, an update, a you know, news article, CNN just came out with, oh, more drugs are coming, not injectables, but in pill form for ozempic like drugs you know they're going to be bigger and better and more effective than wagovi and ozempic for weight loss and this focus on weight loss as something that like is needed versus like what what are we doing like this is this is being promoted like what what are the health side effects like nobody's talking about what damage this could do to people um it's almost like this is the be all end all. This is, you know, some miracle, these miracle drugs, but like what damage are they doing to people's bodies and their health? I mean, it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter as long as you lose weight, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And that scares me. 
Yeah, it's really a privilege for us to, you know, have the the training, the time, and the knowledge to be able to critique studies and headlines, and that we have some safety built into our personal experiences. And then luckily that feeds into our one-on-one patient experiences. But the majority of the people don't have the time or the the knowledge to um, be critical around these messages. And um, I think that is what we're seeing is the the obesity industry, you know, the business of weight loss. And as you are probably, I'm sure, aware, but of the new guidelines that were published by the American Academy of Pediatrics on the management of childhood obesity, it is clear that they're making the point that there is a scientific association between higher weight and the development of chronic disease later in life. But what they are leaving out that is causing so much harm is the science that we know. We know so much about weight science. We know what happens to children and young people when they are told that they need to have a smaller body. We know what happens physiologically and psychologically when people are trying to intentionally lose weight, whether that's through pharmaceuticals or behavioral intervention or bariatric surgery. Um, We actually have a lot of data to more or less prove that these are harmful recommendations and they're in direct contradiction to what the Academy of Pediatrics put out six or seven years ago about how we should not be discussing weight and diets with kids. So from my perspective, um, this huge um, like tsunami of weight loss focused recommendations and and drugs is really a result of the business that that is obesity focused medicine and it's a big one right we 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 hear a lot about and talk a lot about the diet industry and i feel like the diet industry is like a drop in the bucket compared to what is now the obesity fighting industry Oh my gosh. Yes. I agree with everything you just said. And I am, you know, very vocal about how I feel about it as well. And I'm, I'm just scared. I would, I read the guidelines and I, you know, (laughs) just even my own patients, I've heard story after story over the years of how they had experiences, whether they were kids or even adults being told things about like their weight or, you know, reading the BMI charts, but I'm just imagining these young children being told, like you have, whatever the quotes that they're going to be told, like you have a problem with weight or you have a, a you know, an issue with obesity or whatever the terminology was, what the messaging still going to be like, something is wrong with you because you're too big or they're going to take in something and it's psychologically to your point going to be so damaging. Um, mm-hmm. And the parents are going to be basically being told you're doing something wrong something's wrong with your child and the guilt they're going to feel if they don't follow this treatment protocol like your child's going to be ill they're going to be so sick you have to do something 
what parents not going to want to follow this treatment plan if they think their child, if they don't follow it, their child's going to be so sick. Well, and the poor parents, right? I mean, they are not only are they seeing very um, rigid recommendations around managing their child's weight, but at the same time, they are seeing more and more reports of the growing eating disorder epidemic, that eating disorders are deadly, that, um, you know, you should do everything you can to prevent your child from developing an eating disorder because the problem is so massive now and there's not enough treatment. And I mean, they're getting both of these messages. I'm probably a little bit biased and, and much more in tune with the eating disorder warnings, but we're seeing so much more of that too in mainstream news and mainstream media and publications. And I'm thinking, how is a parent supposed to navigate this conflicting information? Not only a parent, how is a pediatrician, you know, or a therapist or a dietitian that doesn't have advanced training in these areas? It's very confusing because the science is biased. And it's contradictory. You know, even the American Academy of Pediatric Guidelines contradicts itself by saying weight stigma is harmful and problematic. And the entire paper is reinforcing weight stigma. You know, it's just gaping holes and building this, this cycle of, of harm. and weight stigma connected to eating disorders. It's it's really confusing for people. So I have a lot of compassion for the parents out there right now. Right. And I know you wrote a book about like intuitive eating for, for children. Um, and, you know, as I was reading the guidelines, it was very much <laughs> emphasis on like quote unquote, healthy foods, unhealthy foods, restricting sugary foods and all of this. And I'm going, again, you know, when I do eating disorder treatment and, you know, I, I don't do your job, but it's very much an emphasis on not labeling foods, all foods are foods. And this is so counter to that. And I'm just going, okay, so here I am treating eating disorders and the dietitians I've worked with kind of the same thing of not labeling foods with healthy, unhealthy, good or bad. And Here's the guidelines that are promoting the labels for foods. And how, how do I do this work? <laughs> you know, if the guidelines for the, in pediatrics are so counter to what I'm doing. So I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. So our book, How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, is a book for parents to help them understand a lot of these concepts that you and I are just touching on, but it includes the science around um, the weight science that we're talking about, that it is predictable, that diets are not going to work. They're not going to quote, manage someone's body weight, that a person's body weight is related to so many factors, so many of which are not within a person's control. Um, but it also addresses really the psychological side of the impact that it has on a child when their primary caregivers um, in some way, shape, or form imply that their body either doesn't look right or isn't the right size or isn't um, productive in the right way, it 
it shows how much we've been conditioned to prioritize nutrition and quote healthy eating and we are as a society prioritizing all of that over our kids mental health we're prioritizing that over our children's relationships to their bodies and my perspective and and a lot of the research to support this which is i think we have over 170 studies cited in our book um is that when we are thinking about uh, promoting good health and well-being for children, we have to include in our definition of health, mental health. It is not just physical health. It is simply not just BMI and weight, of course, or how many minutes of exercise they're getting a day. We need to be fully thinking and encompassing mental health, physical health, and emotional health when we're talking about the health of children. So applying that to food and the feeding relationship, our book helps walk parents through what does that look like in a real life day-to-day scenarios? You know, how, how do we talk about food? How do we talk about bodies? How do we help reinforce Um, the belief that our children are born with that there's nothing wrong with their bodies, right? You don't see a one or a um, two-year-old toddler walking around checking out their body in the mirror and thinking that there's something wrong with it. We teach this to our children. So the book is really aimed at prevention. And then there's also pieces in there that help parents um, consider the ways they can repair if they have noticed that there are things already going on in the feeding relationship that maybe could change and help their child for the better. I'm really glad you wrote the book because I get those questions all of the time. Um, Am I feeding my children the right thing? How do I do mealtime? And I'm wondering, you know, is this book appropriate for, say, somebody, say I have a parent who has an eating disorder or had an eating disorder and they're really concerned like am I going to potentially like give this to my child and I get that question all the time like I'm really worried I'm thinking about having kids or I have young kids like am I saying or doing things that might you know perpetuate my children having an eating disorder yeah it's absolutely I think it's absolutely appropriate I don't there are no um I don't want to say there's no, but there's very few sort of like explicit um, or what, you know, what I, I can't even say that because I don't know what could be, you know, triggering to someone who might have an eating disorder. Um, I do believe that this book could be helpful for a parent who is struggling with disordered eating that wants to learn about um, how to be you know, more safe at home in terms of how they talk about food and how they feed their children. Um, I think that for the most part, people who are struggling with their own relationship with food, it doesn't always translate over into that, um, that they can't see the harm that would be happening to their child, right? So it's very, it, it can be very difficult for a person to go through their own healing from an eating disorder, but they might be completely capable of doing everything that they could choose to do to help prevent passing down uh, disordered thinking to their child. 
Um, so I hope that it's empowering for parents in that way. Um, and it does explore the nuance between like generational dieting and how we do tend to pass things down. And that's just, we, we pass things down in all areas of parenting, but including food and dieting. So it, it covers a lot of that as well. And like really unpacking an adult's relationship with food because it does impact their, um, how they feed their children. Um, what's the feedback you've been like, so when you work with people, what's the feedback you've been getting in terms of, um, you know, people who've read your book or tried to implement what they've read from your book? Yeah. Um, I think a, a lot of what first comes to mind is number one, the relief that people feel that they have been, you know, putting so much energy into doing things quote, you know, right in terms of like not having certain foods in the house or not allowing their children to eat X, Y, and Z food or um, making sure that they really teach their children, you know, to check in with their tummy on fullness. I think that because of the conditioning that we are exposed to societally, parents try really, really hard to do things, quote, the right way. And in that very well-intentioned way of feeding their children, there are, there are things that they are doing that are causing more worry and anxiety for them, which is trickling down to their child. And very simple example of that could be requiring your child to eat their vegetables before they're allowed to have dessert. You know, parents are told they need to eat this food. It's nutritious for them. Everywhere they're hearing these warnings about obesity and diabetes. So they think they're doing the right thing. So long story short, what I hear a lot is a relief that there can be more flexibility, that there's a lot of importance around letting your child have some autonomy with their eating. Um, that their relationship with food is just as important uh, or more important really as whether or not they are eating green vegetables. Um, and because parents want this information, they don't want things to be so difficult at home. <laughs> so I get feedback about the relief. I get feedback about how quickly maybe mealtimes are more peaceful, um, or how surprised they are if they really kind of back off of the controlling aspects of how they were approaching food and they see that their child can eat just fine on their own. Um, I love hearing about kind of the awareness and like the light bulbs that go off with, wow, you know, I thought my child never ate any protein, but now that I'm sort of looking at this from a different angle, I can see that they're getting just enough protein and I don't need to worry so much about that. Um, all kinds of things, but I, but I do definitely think that what stands out is sort of this exhale feeling, this sense of relief, um, and along with that, um, a lot of unfortunately, feelings of, I need to change what I'm doing at home. And I kind of wish I could do that 
ASAP instead of having it be a process. But we know that it is a process to change the feeding relationship. Um, so I think that's a, a great thing that parents realize. There are things that they can do differently to help foster an, a healthy relationship with food, but that's also hard for people to hear sometimes. So we've worked really, really hard to deliver this information in a way that's relatable and compassionate for parents. I'm very glad to hear that because I, I know people come in with these ingrained ideas, even from their own families of origin. Like I grew up in a house where we were told we had to eat everything on our plate or to your point too, like the, we had to eat this kind of food before we got dessert or, or they're, they have this anxiety of like, I'm not a good parent if I don't have my children eat, you know, enough of this kind of food, or if they're eating this, I'm a bad parent, or I'm going to get judged, you know, all sorts of kinds of things. And so I'm glad to hear there's some relief there. Um, and just to read things that, you know, maybe they can let go of some of these rules or really learn that these rules aren't enforceable. They're not really true. Um, so definitely right. like that is great. Yeah, they really start to see the diet culture all around them mm -hmm. and how unhelpful it is. Um, and it's like putting a puzzle together, right? From, from a beginner's mind, you know, they're totally reconsidering what they think they know about nutrition and about how you quote, get kids to eat well, whatever that means. And it's so important for parents to understand that there is not one way that a child needs to eat. I mean, there's, there's every child's going to have their own individual way of eating preferences, likes and dislikes, quantities of food that they need, just like they're all going to have a different body. Um, and so we can work so much more on fostering that positive feeding relationship, positive relationship with food and not worry about having to control a child's body or what they eat. And I, I did want to ask you too, um, I know other than the book, you also train other dietitians um, because like you said, there's not a lot of training in eating disorders um, with what you do. And I've certainly had my fair share of, unfortunately, over the years experience with not having uh, the ability to find someone who was knew anything about eating disorders. And so I think for a time there, at least way back uh, when I first started, there was there was not a dietitian who knew anything about eating disorders. I think that did much more harm than, than good. Um, and so there was this hesitancy for a lot of time to send anybody to a dietitian because I just, well, I couldn't find a you out there. <laughs> um, and a lot of times, you know, I worked at a hospital for some time and there wasn't uh, the ability to there was no option but to send a patient to somebody who was just giving out information that was that felt very much like a diet. They were given information that was much more harmful and kind of perpetuated the eating disorder um, mentality. And I know that even in my private practice, if people want to go through their insurance, they pick someone that's on their panel because they want it covered and they don't really realize the importance of finding somebody who's a specialist and who knows about eating disorders versus, well, I just want it paid for. It's so expensive. And that, you know, maybe, maybe you could answer this, but what is the need to work with somebody like yourself who's a specialist and trained in eating disorders versus just somebody who's a dietitian who has no knowledge 
of eating disorders. Yeah. I mean, there's so much there. First of all, I think dietitians are incredibly well set up to be fabulous eating disorder providers because many, many of us get into the field because we want to help, we care. Many of us, uh, more so than the general population, have had our own issues with with um, disordered eating and eating disorders. So, but the problem, as you mentioned, is there isn't accessible training. It's not built into nearly all of the academic settings and clinical settings where dietitians are trained. Um, weight inclusive care and eating disorder care is not built into it. So there's there's a big gap between a huge need for more of us and not a way for people to get that training. So um, I created a online continuing education platform that's called Eating Disorder, EDRD Pro, which stands for Eating Disorder Registered Dietitians and Professionals. And the entire purpose of it is to make really high quality um, level one, two, and three trainings available to students, to dietetic interns, to registered dietitians, but also to therapists and health coaches, anybody who needs to get really some foundational, important knowledge around being safe with eating disorder treatment care um, can find it all online. And we have a huge database of webinars people can watch on demand. We have courses, we have new events and trainings that happen every month and case consultations, but but really it's a huge network and community of dietitians um, and other eating disorder providers from many different countries around the world. And um, you asked how important is it that someone find someone with eating disorder training to work with? It's extremely important. And it's not because you might go to somebody who is going to intentionally cause harm. It just goes back to they don't know what they don't know. And there is an assumption that the scope of practice for a dietitian is limited to meal planning and macro and micronutrients and supplementations. And definitely that is part of our scope. But when you step into the world of eating disorders, it's a completely different um, type of nutrition counseling. Um, we're working with people um, with many comorbidities and co-occurring um, mental health issues. So it, it's a very unique population. And, and the sad thing is um, we need more in insurance coverage for eating disorder nutrition counseling. Even plans that do have some coverage for it often have very limited reimbursement or in-network coverage. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's probably the biggest problem with people being able to access the treatment that they need is that there isn't enough insurance coverage and not enough people have the insurance that they need to get the care that they need. Across the board for, I think, mental health and eating disorders in general, I'm finding the same exact thing in my practice. So Mm -hmm. hopefully something will change but yeah yeah it really speaks to the importance of you know lobbying and speaking out and and um, there's a lot of important work being done by folks with the alliance for eating disorders and other organizations that um, really are putting the efforts into changing laws and coverage for eating disorder treatment and I really appreciate that you have a uh, 
all that training out there because it's so needed. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful as a psychologist out there that you are doing that because, oh my gosh, I can't tell you, it's been so nice to know that there are so many more resources for me to refer out there. It's just, wonderful. So thank you. Yeah. We also have on our website, a provider directory. So um, if somebody is looking for an eating disorder dietitian in their area, they can check on edrdpro.com in the provider directory to see if there is someone in their area or even in their state that they could get a hold of um, to either ask for a referral or because of all the telehealth now, which is generally covered by state, um, they might be able to see someone who, you know, isn't local to their area, but is still in the same state and and have coverage for that. And if somebody would like to work with you or find out more about you, follow you on social media, how can they do that? On social media, I uh, will primarily have the two accounts. So one is intuitive eating RD, and that's more of my Sumner Brooks kind of professional Instagram place. Um, and then EDRD Pro is also just at EDRD Pro. Um, we have a website for our book. It's called intuitiveeatingforkids.com. And the four is the number four. Um, and so you can connect with me there through the contact form or my co-author, Amy Severson. You can also be contacted through that form. Thank you so much. Is there any last words before we end or is that, um, I mean, you said so much and provided so much information. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I just hope people um, continue to go out there and seek, seek out information because you have to really weed through all of the, all of the noise of diet culture. And I, I think particular, obviously my passion is with parents. And so that we can break some of this generational dieting and, do some kind of reducing prevalence of eating disorders, but, um, you know, seek out weight inclusive health at every size eating disorder informed nutrition advice. Um, read our book, honestly, it's jam packed with information and resources. And, um, even in the back of the book, you know, places to go for more information and things like that. Um, and speak out when you, you know, I'd love for people to think about when they observe something or witness something, somebody making a body-based, you know, critical comment or an inappropriate nutrition advice for a child, you know, pull that person aside and tell them that that's not appropriate. It's harmful. Talk to your school counselors or nurses or the principal if you think there is something harmful going on with curriculum or the way that something's being taught. You know, we need people to speak up. Um, and that's the only way things change. Very, very great message. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.